what do feelings mean to you? Like, how do you process feelings? And I know we're going to talk more about that in emotional intelligence, but when we create a barrier to feeling our feelings, that creates a stuckness, an emotional stuckness, and, an, and a stuckness in energy. And so when we have that energy stuckness, we can't get through what we need to get through emotionally. Uh, this is more about men's mental health. You don't have to necessarily talk about your own, but what you've witnessed, what you've experienced, any stories that you have. So this is about the deep conversation. You know, so we've talked a bit about staying physically fit and active to manage to some degree our physical health. So the points you were talking about there that are related to how, you know, how do I deal with what I know about my mental state, how do I look after that maybe is a good starting point personally. So how do you? Look after your mental state. Each of you. Um, with regards mental well-being, everybody talks a lot about stress these days, don't they? Everybody's stressed. My grandfather, who was on the Jarrow March as a as a boy with an uncle, used to say. There's no such thing as stress, you're all just soft. Um, and while I don't agree with that, um, there is a tendency these days for everybody to say, I'm stressed, I'm stressed, I'm stressed, when maybe what they mean is I'm under a lot of pressure and I don't know how to deal with that. Um, so personally, I know myself that I, I need quite a bit of time on my own. And I have taken the decision or a set of decisions in my life to be married with little kids, which is kind of the exact opposite of, of what I've just said. So my, my way of dealing with it is to, it's kind of counterproductive, I suppose, because I stay up quite late at night, and that gives me three or four hours after everybody else in the house is in bed, and I either do work or I watch films or I sit and waste time playing cards on my phone but it's my time and I don't answer to anybody for it usually um, and that kind of keeps me in balance in terms of recharging those energy batteries that you, you seem to have in terms of mental well-being um, and dealing with pressures that you face and it gives quiet time to think um, and although, like I say, it's a bit counterproductive because I'm quite often tired in the day, but you know I deal with that, and and that's the price that I am willing to pay to get that time on my own that I know that I need. Um, but it's a good example, I suppose, of kind of shooting yourself in the foot uh, to 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 do it. Um, but it's what I need to do at the moment. Um, and as a father of young kids, like I say, their their time, you know, they they need the time with family to be on their terms, really. So, yeah. I guess just, you've made me maybe think of several things there, um, but the, the doing the something on your, your, your own terms uh, and also as a part of a ritual. The one for me is actually where I will straddle um, your world of football and your intense dislike of football <laughs> uh, in that 
Um, I actually do go to the football um, every other week, and that's just me spending two hours just looking at a bunch of silly people running around kicking a ball about. So I'm not hugely emotionally invested in it. It's just something that I've paid for that I actually just go there and just just turn my mind off and get a bit of yeah. mindless entertainment, um, and I don't get too wound up about it. Um, and it also reminded me, uh, thinking that, of the um, good old Rudyard Kipling poem, uh, If, uh, which ends on the line, then you'll be a man, my son. Uh, so very relevant to this. Um, it says that, I think there's that line in it about treating victory and failure as the same old frauds that they are uh, as well. And that's pretty much my attitude to football as well. You know, okay, if they get kicked out, they get kicked out, who cares? <laughs> so you keep a balance in there. But ultimately it's that, it's that sort of, it, for me, that's a, it's a, a space I've created and actually very late in life as well yeah. um, to do that. So that's, I, I don't really know if that's, that's taken it anywhere, but you know. No, I think it's really important because it's about self-awareness, isn't it? It's yeah. about what is the thing that does, that gives me this recharging time or this, this space from always being switched on, always delivering, always giving out to myself or other people or work. So knowing or, or deciding on what works for you, I think it's half the battle. Um, lots of people don't get to that yeah. ever. So no, I, I yeah. think it's brilliant, and it's and it's an unusual example. I know for somebody not to <laughs> particularly like football to go and watch it, but I totally get <laughs> it that it's if it does what you need it to do, then brilliant. Yeah, I mean the thing is, I I, I do like football. It's just right. I'm not absolutely mad on you know I'm not one yeah, of these don't people. Yeah, who wins? Don't really care. No, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it makes me think of um, uh, I so two years ago I had a revelation in my life. I started watching Love Island. <laughs> yeah. Right. I see the guys in the office were like, you watch Love Island. I was like, I love it. Right. I absolutely love garbage TV. Like, passionately. And the thing is, is that, and it, which is kind of ironic working in my industry, which is producing, you know, engaging digital content. But anyway. It, you know, because a lot of people in my industry are like film buffs mm. that like only watch like, you know, really intelligent yeah. documentaries and all sorts, you know. And I'm like, Love Island, amazing. Big, <laughs> big brother when it was on. But I think, I think kind of, it kind of reminds me of what you're saying. It's like, I suppose for me, it's like, I'll sit there and I'll watch an hour of that and I'll get passionately annoyed about the buffoons and their stupid decisions and I'll have all of these opinions and I'll vent and I'll get my acid tongue and I'll be like ah oh. and then come the end of it I'll be like oh, that's just great it's like therapy <laughs> but it's almost a bit like that's my opportunity to to get all of that out and to feel those feelings about stuff and that's a safe place to do that because well, it doesn't matter do you know what I mean it's just like garbage TV I don't know these people and um, I'd rather be like that about that than get like that in work you know or feel like that about a client or one of my kids doing something and getting annoyed I'd rather get annoyed at the people on the TV and sort of vent that stuff and that's my moment to kind of detach and sort of, do you know what I mean like I, yeah 
I mean, I, I mean, I'm speculating. Maybe that's the, maybe I just love this show. It's just gold. It's just gold. Can't believe these people exist. <laughs> Starts on Monday, by the way. I think Tim was saying as well with myself. It's last hour, two hours a night. It's my me time. Doesn't matter what sort I watch. It could be Love Island. I might not be invested in it, but I'll just watch it to take my mind off things. Whatever is on, there might be repeats of Doctor Who. It could be anything what's on. But that one or two hours before going to sleep is my time. That's when I relax. That's the whole day, the whole week, whatever it is. That's it. Calming down. Go to sleep. Get up. Start again. Start afresh. So I see when you come from that sleep. I have to have. If I don't have my last one or two hours by myself, then I don't get a good night's sleep. I won't get Guinness. I just need that time to calm down. Go. That's it. Go to sleep. You know, it's funny because of uh, this is me like feeling old right because I love history channels and watching documentaries and figuring out how the world is made and how it used to be and how it is now and, and all those comparisons and that intrigues me um, and I think it's just like where we are at the moment as society where we are at the moment the way people's way of thinking are um, and with all the politics and all the other nonsense that's going on, it's just like baffles me where we are right now. But I always think, how did we used to behave? And that kind of keeps me occupied. And that's like an interest for me, sort of thing. So some people may have a hobby of train spotting or whatever and comparing things. I like comparing how we are now and how we used to be. And you go back and you think, yeah, there's a lot of things that we can learn from the way it was, you know. Um, yeah, and yeah, it is it kind of, you know, you switch off from, you know, the kind of stressful day you've had and the things that are kind of on your mind, you know, through the day or just the responsibility of your family and the duties and roles, and, you know. I think we're all kind of quite common, have that common kind of uh, understanding, but yeah, that's, I think that's my kind of, and the other thing I got into was, I wasn't uh, into, as I say, I love playing football. I wasn't into really watching football and stuff. And then only maybe last few years, I started getting into match of the day and watching the Premier League. And f before I used to try to do it because everyone else done it and you'd meet them and they'd be talking about it and you felt left out and stuff like that. And I tried it, it just didn't work. But I don't know, it just naturally came about and I've actually, I actually enjoy it, yeah, so that's kind of two things. I, I would say it's, um, it releases me from a stressful day. So it sounds like balance and release is essential in everyone's life to, to recoup, to re-energize is what I'm hearing. Re-energize or just let go for that moment because some days are very kind of like mundane or repetitive. And you know you're going to face the same thing again the next day, so you you, you just need that kind of uh, release. Yeah. Like a kind of a place to sort of mentally put yourself for a period of time yeah. that isn't where you are for the rest of the day. Yeah. Like see. Like yeah, kind of. Yeah, a men's cave, but for your mind. Yeah. But do you know what I mean? It's like it's that kind of like you know I spend work you know at work I'm just like on and I'm constant it's constant it's constant mm. it's constant come home kids bed yeah. you know all that you know and sometimes it's nice just 
your for your mind to be elsewhere mm. and not be thinking about all that sort of stuff and i suppose it's just finding something that is gonna hold your attention mm. for that period of time to allow you to distract you enough yeah. that you aren't thinking about that sort of thing because you were saying about not sleeping like that's the times that i don't sleep is when i'm i'm just i can't turn off you know because i'm just thinking constantly about i've got a million things to do i need to do this need to do that nah, nah, nah. i think that becomes a problem when you don't have that time to that thing to distract you it's much easier I've, I've found in the past to sleep when i've had something to distract me from all of the other rubbish that i need to deal with so it's like distracts you for a bit allows you to get away from it and then i find easier sleep personally my wife's and the kids have went away for the weekend somewhere right and you know this real realization it's like well whatever the case may be it might have been just having a sleepover or a wait, wait to the in-laws or whatever but they're away and the house is empty and i think wow sanctuary my house silence silence do what i want to do switch the tv on when i want eat what i want open the fridge and have what i want and like they come back and go, oh, do you miss me? And I'm like, no. <laughs> no. You know, they're like, what kind of father are you? Can't, you know, your kids are away for the day, a couple of days and you know, you didn't have any, no. I didn't miss you. I'm glad you're back. <laughs> I no. I've got this horrible image of you now as, as a kind of a Homer Simpson sitting there in his underpants with a can of beer. That's it, that's it. That's so wonderful. I treasure those moments now, yeah. and it's only now that I begin to realise. I don't know why that is. Maybe works the responsibilities more, um, you know. And I appreciate having time to myself now, whereas I never used to be like that. Um, but seeing that, if like I've been away with yourself, we went to Morocco. We were away for five days. Being away from my family in that respect. I miss my family deeply. Mm. It's very, very weird. It's not just being a. It's like there's two kind of concepts of being away. One's traveling away from the country, out the country, away from the distance wise. Another is they're away and they'll be back, sort of thing, you know. And you're in your house and you're in your space and, you know, um, you can do what you want and you just feel, you know, it's great. It seems bad, but no, it's great when they go away for a couple of days, it really does. <laughs> you know they're going to watch this, right? <laughs> so, Lyakot, you, you said something really interesting because I was going to ask, does it make a difference for you if you're away just for a few days in the same vicinity where you safely know where they're going to be and they're yeah. going to come back versus being away? And then on top of that, being away with your your mates, you know, your buddies, your, yeah. your male pals. Is there a difference of the getaway for, for, for you on, on your own self-rejuvenation or, or family-wise? Yeah, for me it is because even if I'm away, I, uh, when I go away with my friends and stuff like that, I'm sort of still um, concerned. I'm not completely like, relaxed and enjoying being away, if you know what I mean. I still consciously kind of do miss them. And that weighs on me a little bit as well. I'm, I'm wanting to get this holiday quickly over with so I can return back to them. I don't know why that is. Um, it's very strange, but I do I do feel that. And it's quite interesting because my wife says the same thing. When she goes away, she kind of misses being away 
from myself and even before she goes and you know she she's quite anxious about oh, I already miss you I'm not even away that kind of thing she'll say um, and likewise myself you know if I, uh, I know I'm going to go away somewhere then um, I'm already anxious already missing and I'm not even away so let me ask you this um, I know women when they leave their their children mm. and their partners and they go away of course they miss them yeah and I'm stereotyping again for yeah, a big yeah. group of people however they give each other or themselves permission yeah to be there to be in the moment yeah to rejuvenate because yeah. that's yeah. what they've either earned or chosen yeah. to do for themselves yeah. self-care yeah. self-love whatever it may be yeah. does that translate for men in the same way yeah I mean I think everyone deserves to have their space and go away and do the thing sort of thing but I think it's um, just that natural bond I think it just um, for me anyway personally I have to go away for work a bit um, so it's not like I'm going away to have fun. And I think, I, I don't know, yeah, there's that kind of, uh, there's always this sort of thing in the back of my head, like where, you know, you deeply miss your family. And I do, because when I'm working away, I'm like, well, this is rubbish. Because you basically go back to like a, an empty hotel room. And yeah, cool, it's nice to sit there in, in your underpants and watch mm -hmm. TV or whatever. But I mean, that kind of wears off after like an hour and then you're like, well, I'm just sat here in my underpants watching TV. I'm yeah. bored, yeah. yeah. Love Island's not on. So yeah. it's kind of, you know, and then at that point, I think because there's not a distraction, I, I end up sort of thinking, well, you know, with three kids, you know, things are probably quite manic at home because, like, you know, we provide a lot of support to each other. So when my wife's on her own, I'm then starting to get, a bit like I start thinking about okay how's she getting on she's probably telling me she's fine but actually like I know what it's like dealing with the kids on them oh you know and she's probably having to deal with all sorts and they can be a bit of a handful and you know especially if they're unwell or whatever like, which seems to always tie in with whenever I go away for work it always seems to be one of them's ill um, and so that then starts to play on your mind I don't find that the easiest to be honest to deal with um, yeah, I think so, yeah. And knowing that probably by the time I get back, it's unlikely I'm going to walk through the door and it to be like a welcome home, I'm really pleased to see you because I've missed you. It's going to be, yeah, it's going to be like, you know, the place is on fire. You know, take them. I need, I need an hour on my own to cry in a dark room sort of thing. Um, and so you sort of end up like, oh, yeah. And that's nobody's fault. That's just life. Do you know what I mean? Um, and then the other the other side of that is like going away with your mates. And then honestly, like, I think there's, if I'm being honest, despite, despite the go away and have fun with your pals and all that sort of stuff, regardless of what she might say, there's definitely a amount of guilt that comes in there, just regardless. Because it's like it's really difficult to shut off and actually just have fun with your mates because you know it's all probably kicking off. Uh, it must be that <laughs> that that thing where obviously when you got you're with your wife and kids, 
you can never let go of that responsibility now it's different when you were young you were single you know you had you didn't have those responsibilities or those kind of uh, you know connections so you were free to go with your mates and actually enjoy it but that phase seems to be over you know and it's a bit of a task trying to go enjoy yourself with your friends it now is, it is do you know what I mean rather than actually enjoy it but saying that sometimes the, the idea of uh, going on holiday with my wife which I have done that could be stressful as well for Absolutely. me <laughs> basically having kids yeah, but going abroad and, and holiday and when, you know, you need to figure things out, you know, on the fly, you know, when things go not exactly to plan, it's, uh, it'd be quite stressful. And then the things like, there's little habits, like my wife, she hates going to hot countries and you're like, that is what you want to go. You want to go out to the sun and enjoy the weather. We're in Scotland, it's always raining, it's always miserable. You want blue skies and a bit of sun, you know, and kind of, she's like, she gets frustrated so you're on holiday and she's oh, flustered that it's too hot and I can't take a seat and you're like god I'm here on holiday let's just enjoy it please you know <laughs> <laughs> so it's not a, 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 not a win-win situation in any manner it's uh... so how much does guilt and responsibility play on your mindset as a man as a provider is what I'm hearing as a let me make sure that everybody's taken care of approach even on holiday yeah. impact your 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 own health, your own mindset. I think we've kind of picked, uh, touched on the fact that we kind of find our spaces, our time, where we can kind of say, this is my time. And that perhaps helps you kind of just forget things for a moment, all your responsibilities, just put them aside. The kids are asleep, the wife's asleep, whatever. And you know they're safe, so you can just forget about it and just enjoy yourself and that's your kind of me time but you know it's, uh, it's you can never be um take that element of that responsibility away completely and be free from it well i personally can't i can't can't imagine that so i don't have children so completely different dynamic on this yeah in that um i don't feel guilt <laughs> in, in this uh, and in fact, um, my wife and I have now come to an understanding where actually we will act, we will go off on separate holidays every now and again, and that's healthy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I literally do not want to go crawling up the side of uh, Italian volcanoes for two weeks. You know, that's just not me. I'd be bored to tears mm -hmm. on that, but that's her thing. Um, same as she wouldn't particularly like to go um, bar crawling in New England. Um, I'm very happy to do that, you know, because I've got tons of friends over there and that, that kind of thing. So I think, uh, but neither of us feel guilt about that and it's actually recognised as a, as a perfectly, you know, good recharging moment. But I appreciate it's completely different circumstances yeah. and I think the, the children aspect of it presumably is, is the fundamental difference yeah. there. Yeah. So although, you know, you're a couple, your interests are not necessarily always going to be the same. Absolutely. So it's great to get away and her to do the things that she wants to do and for you to get away to do what you... If that works, that would be great. I mean, I kind of see that happening, to be honest, where I am. But, um, you know, the idea, I can understand that completely, yeah. Something you said also reminded me, I, I did a focus group years and years ago. Uh, it was promoting images of Tunisia as a holiday destination. Yeah. And there's a broad range of people there. And there was one image, and it was of a golf course, 
uh, that people really responded to. And I dug, dug into it, and it, it turns out the reason why this image was popular is because people thought, it's not a complete desert there. Um, it's going to be a bit cooler, which means my kids are not going to be screaming in my ears all time long, and I'm going to have to put them over with, you know, sort of sun cream and that kind of thing. So, yeah, that's res resonating with, with me. And it's one of those things, it wouldn't, I wouldn't have got that. Yeah. But, you know, it's just you mentioned the hot, hot yeah. uh, climate kind of thing and the, the responsibility and the things that, yeah. uh, different ways of, of, of looking at uh, different destinations, yeah. I guess. Um, yeah, and you mentioned freedom, you know, the freedom of youth that we have that yeah. you kind of blow when you're a kid um, <laughs> and it goes too fast. But um, for me, I, I think that idea of freedom from responsibility, which you, as a father, I feel you can't ever switch off. And I, and I, my older daughter, who's, who's an adult herself, and we've talked about this quite carefully because I think you have to be serious about stepping into that and so it's one of the things that um, we've talked about in terms of her ever wanting to have kids or not um, but yeah that responsibility I think temporarily men do seem to be able to switch it off I know lots of guys who switch it off full stop and, and, and therefore are absent as fathers and um, you know whether how they deal with that themselves is, is obviously their own thing but you do seem to find this common thread of, of you know I am now never able to switch off from are they okay so in terms of adding pressure to modern life which is quite difficult in terms of keeping up with expectations, being the right kind of person, the right kind of worker, the right kind of person on social media, um, which are all there niggling away at you, even if you don't care what people think of you, even if you're not bothered about you know, what response you get, it's there nipping away. So I think once you add all those responsibilities up, it, it, it can be difficult to keep an even keel for people in terms of their mental well-being and how they feel about themselves. And again, I suppose recognizing when things start to go awry with that and how you respond is the key, isn't it? Because you could you can spiral quite quickly. Um, and other people are not always going to notice what's going on inside your head unless they know you really well and they're incredibly empathic. How are they supposed to know if, mm. if you aren't aware of those changes happening and you can't speak about them which most men again tend to throw into the mix you know i don't want to speak about this stuff it's private what will the reaction be if i ask for help certainly in, in my experience having disclosed you know a problem at work of being uh, having an episode of depression and within a week have been sacked from that piece of work. Um, it's a real thing that people don't know how to deal with it. Over the last 10 years, I think there's been an improvement as more people have spoken out about uh, the numbers of people who suffer from mental ill health uh, or a lack of well-being. It's improving slowly, but most people are terrified of you saying to them, I'm not happy or I'm struggling because then they've got to do something about it. Mm. 
um, or at least the, to listen properly or the, to think of the right words to respond with. So I think it's a two-way thing. I think men do struggle a bit with stepping out of that I will cope with this. But I do think there's a general fear, and particularly in UK culture where we're a bit reserved and we don't like fuss and bother. You A, don't like making that for other people and B, you don't really feel comfortable when it's presented in your lap either. I don't have any children or I'm married, so I don't feel any guilt whatsoever when I go. But in my case, um, I'd say it's my parents. I'm quite elderly, my dad's about 18 now. Mum's quite late 70s as well, so when I'm away, I do feel like, okay, I should take the medication. Mum gets insomnia as well. So my dad, all right, he's okay, because he has tended to wake up at four or five times a night. Sometimes you go, you'll hear the TV on at three o'clock in the morning or something, <laughs> a random time, and he's, and, he's, and he's a bit deaf as well, so he's got the volume on max. I can hear clearly from my room, <laughs> and he's still standing there like from the TV. <laughs> so I do, when I'm away, I do feel, when it's in the house, it's okay if I'm not asleep, and I know that's okay. But when I'm traveling abroad, there is that, okay, have you done it? She's okay, and he's like a cocoon or not, because he has a tendency to do that as well. Sometimes it gets locked the door. So it's always my mind. So I do find that about, um, even if I know someone else is there, my sister can comes over, I still don't feel quite safe, because I know unless I do it myself, then I'm more comfortable with that. So there is that feeling as well. Mm. So they can affirm my wife and kid. <laughs> and that's an interesting point as well, isn't it? About being in control um, and the extent to which that influences your, your perspective of how things are going. Because I know as soon as the different parts of my life start to get away from me a bit, um, that kind of pressure, and, and I suppose as an example, financial pressure over the years, times at which I found myself struggling to get by, everything else seems much, much worse. Um, and I've been more short with people, more irritable, more distracted from things that I want to focus on. And, and again, worrying about saying to people, um, I'm struggling with this, just compounds it somehow. And it's embarrassing as well. Mm. You know, those, those kind of issues where you, at points in your life, you're saying to people, well, I can't, I can't come out for a drink because I don't have any money. And I don't mean I don't have a fiver, I mean I don't have any money. Um, it's embarrassing. And um, so I think all these things really mingle together, but the control issue for me, like you say, you know, it, you know when, when you have got this. And if that's in doubt at all, then things start to get a bit shaky. If I think back to the times in my life where I've sort of had shaky moments, like financial, like the times where financially I'm struggling, it's funny because you look back on it now, and like there's times where like I've had like proper like meltdown moments, uh, you know, about like for example, like a thousand pound debt something and then you look at it now and you're like it seems ridiculous because like I could find a thousand pounds like because I can see clearly of that of that scenario now I could find a thousand pounds pretty easily when you think about it you know you could be like 
well, I probably know at least five people immediately that if I literally sent them a text now, they would give me a thousand pounds to borrow. You know, it just seems ridiculous to get so worked up about it. But see, at the time, you're like, you just can't see the wood for the trees. I don't know. I just I, I think it's I think it's the lack of control. I think you feel like you've lost control, and I think you feel like everything's just gotten away from you. And then the only thing you can focus on is that thing that you've lost control of, and that's the only thing that that you your attention is focused on. So then everything else, like you say, you're short with people and all sorts. So like, you know, there's times where, yeah, that's happened to me and I've just been like snappy and emotional and like, you know, all sorts of stuff. And then like, you know, and in hindsight, you're like, it just seems like the most ridiculous thing. Um, okay, I remember, I remember once I was in Glasgow, I got, I was trying to move out of a flat with a guy that I absolutely detested living with. He was basically an alcoholic. Um, didn't have any friends in Glasgow really. Uh, I just met my now wife. Um, I I got swine flu, um, and then I'd saved up. Oh, my bank account got um, robbed, like defrauded. So it was cleared out. So in the meantime, I was paid cash in a bar, which I kept in my bedside table, which he stole or someone stole, and that was what I was going to use as deposit to move out of the flat. And then like proper meltdown, <laughs> like proper meltdown. And I remember like phoning my dad just like in tears and I was just like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. You know, it's ridiculous. And he was like 600 pounds, like in the grand scheme of things, it's not the end of the world. And he was just like, I'll send you the 600 pounds. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> okay. You know, it's just like totally ridiculous. But see at that moment, like I was just like, that's, the end like do you know what I mean it's just like everything has just gone to shit you know that's how it felt and it was just ridiculous but yeah I don't know what I think you nowhere else to turn I think I'd exhausted every single conceivable option that I had I think I didn't I didn't know what else to do I was like accounts are empty cash is gone alcoholic feel like death because of the flu. Need to get out of this flat. Can't do this anymore. Pick up the phone. And I, and I always, I, and I don't know whether it's a pride thing, but I really don't like asking my dad for help for money, even though I know that he'll always give it to me. But I don't know. I just wanna be independent fiercely so so I'll always wait until like the last minute before I send the signal flare up you know what I mean I'm the one in the Titanic stood on the tip as it's going down <laughs> like you know um, but yeah I don't know what that's about I was the same as well when I was growing up my dad would always say to me like you need any money whatever no I'm fine and then when I have some student debt or some problems I will try everyone else or any other property, anything else, my dad will ask. And a lot of times, mine's I've tried before, but I just didn't want to ask. It was a pride thing as well, because I wanted to be the man. Mm -hmm. 
Do you have to go back to my dad and ask, I need some money now? That's what I felt that time. That's the thing, let him down either. You know, that's what I felt. You know. Yeah, because you want to feel like you've flown the nest. Yeah. And you don't want to have to feel like you have to go back and be like, you know, I flew the nest. Yeah. Well, yeah. about yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out not so good at flying after all. You know, you want to keep your parents proud that you've achieved something and you're going some, you've made something of your life. And perhaps it's that kind of way where, oh, bugger, you know, this is going to really kind of make my dad worry, like, what have you been doing in your life? You know, that you you come up to me and you're, not not that he wouldn't help, you know, they would help, but, you know. um, And then it's the future as well. After that, it's the future. So it's like, it's setting a precedent for like, questioning everything in future when things are all right. And you're like, no, things are fine. It was just a blip. Now I don't need you questioning everything I do in the future. So how does that impact your mindset then and your own perception of your identity as a man? You just can't doubt yourself as well. And like you were saying as well, as you make that that one mistake, it's never forgotten. You're always reminded of that now. And then when you go forward, there's that a lot of comment here and there. You kind of remember that time, you know? I think it's a pride thing. I do think it's a pride thing. I'm just thinking that, you know, there are situations I think we'll always find ourselves in which aren't going to be suitable. And I think that's inevitable. You're never going to be absolutely perfect. You're never always going to get the result that you want. But, I mean, you found a solution by just picking up the phone and saying, your dad, I need the help. I think as guys, perhaps we don't do enough of that. I think there's options out there where there are people that do care for you but it's making that approach is you know making that admittance to say I've got a problem or I'm in this situation and I totally understand you know I'll just keep you know accumulating the debt but not asking or go to my wife and go you know what things are a bit tight right now whatever you know just my overdraft's going bigger and bigger and bigger I'm just waiting for that break in the job to kind of then it will just clear it out but that period of time that, that that's there it's obviously putting pressure on and I'm h- hiding it and I don't want them to know and I know perhaps if I just um, put my hand out and ask for help that it will resolve that problem and you know and I wouldn't be in that situation but it's admitting it I think it's admitting that you've fallen into that place the sort of thing but then life's never ever going to, you know, you're never going to get the result that you want all the time. I wonder if there's like a social, uh, you know, we're used to the sort of construct that like, you know, um, man provides, woman does all the home stuff. And so then there's this, whether you're consciously doing it or not, you feel emasculated by that process. That you're asking, Uh you know, and you're like, I should be the provider here. But who says you should? Society. Well, I, what I mean is we perceive society to say that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But but many families have the extreme opposite framework. Mm-hmm. So why allow the should, the musts, the have exactly. to yeah, yeah, exactly. define who you are? Our fathers 
were providers and they worked mm. and that was what they saw themselves as and their fathers before them and you know a lot of the research says that before you're 10 years old you kind of who you are in your beliefs and your core values so if all I see at home is a dad who thinks he's the provider and he's in charge and he says what goes then that's going to take a lot of years of working out of mm. um, it's yeah, it's conditioning. Um, so traditionally, it has been there. We we know, and we talk about it more about the way that men control the world. Um, it's moving, but it will take time. And you know, we're we're creatures of habit. Um, we really are. We get into a comfort zone and we stay with it. And I, and I think for for me as a, as a white UK guy, I've got a comfortable life, not rich by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, I can buy food for the family every month, we pay our gas bill, you know, we go on holiday once a year. So there's not really any problems. Um so my take on life is that, you know, what am I gonna change? Um and how am I gonna show my children that things can be different? if I'm in a comfortable zone that I don't need to do anything really about. So is that the same concept of if it's not broken, don't fix it? Yeah, and I think that lots of us just carry on with that conditioning because we don't have to fight against anything. Um, and I mean, as well in Leacat, you've talked about being second generation mm. um, immigrants to the country and therefore, you know, you, you were balancing two sets of expectations. You fight against that, you change things. For a lot of us here who don't have to think about that mm. stuff, mm. you don't ever change. So the conditioning continues. So do you need a trigger, um, a catalyst to create that shift for you, do you think? And and if so, do you have any catalysts or shifts that you've personally experienced that created that awareness? I'm not sure it always needs to be massive that you get a sort of road to Damascus moment. But everybody here has talked about moments in their life, either big or small, where they've, they have either said, I am asking for help, or I need to change something. The opportunities are presented to us in life to learn and to see what can be done differently. And it's whether we take those or not. Um, it's the same with everything, you know, work opportunities, relationship opportunities. If you react to what's put in front of you and take notice and see how that interaction goes, then you tend to move forward with it. Uh, and things change. They don't always change for the better or worse, but they change. And it's what you do with that, isn't it? Um, and as, like I say, as a comfortable, life continues, how easy is it to make those changes when perhaps you don't need to? So it's interesting that you say that, Tim, because look, the certain circumstance that you explained, that you shared with us, um, could drive someone to suicide, potentially, feeling like if they didn't have that person, that flare, you know, yeah. as the Titanic is sinking, mm -hmm. to shoot it up and know that someone will see it. It could potentially, yeah. 
so, you know, with male suicide rates far surpassing women's suicide rates, it's a major issue. So what do you do about that? What advice would you give our people? Yeah, I don't know. Like, it's, it's a funny one because, you know, when the sort of subject of suicide gets broached, like, there's, I think I've only ever known of, I think, three, no, five suicides of people that I know or have known, I should say. Only one of those is female. Um, Proving the stats. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I think I think mental health is a massively complex subject. Um, I don't. I don't have the answer. I don't. I don't know. To be honest, one thing I I feel like I've learned myself from the times like those scenarios that I found particular and difficult is that. Um, as like anything, when you when you do something a few times, you you sort of I guess you learn what that process looks like. So when there's these moments in my life that I felt like it's all been falling apart, I've learned what that starts to look like and, and eventually what the outcome is, right? And that's the benefit of hindsight. And unfortunately, I think the problem is, is that there's maybe not enough conversation about those moments so that there is a broader awareness of like, actually, it will be all right. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm maybe trivializing it slightly, but like, like, you know, in with the benefit of hindsight and the times that I've had in my experience, it's been okay. Do you know what I mean? But in the moment, like it's been the worst thing in the world. Yeah. But now I know that if ever, like, you know, I'm at a period in my life where, like, right now is quite stressful, I would argue. But I know that, like, if it got to it and, it, and I was, like, back up against the wall, I said, you know what? Like, it'll be fine. I'll work it out. I'll work it out. And the only reason I can say that is because I've done it X amount of times before. I just think like I don't think there's enough conversation about those times yeah. so that when someone's faced with that for the first time mm. they think actually this isn't the end of the world because this happens a lot do you know what I mean yeah um but like I say it's easier said than done because see when you're in that moment like man it's like like that is all you can see you know, and it's like really difficult. And when people are like, oh, just like talk about it. It's like, pfft. try to like, I could like try thinking about that as like at that point in your life is like impossible. I recognize it in myself now when, when I'm, you know, gonna get down. But I also feel privileged now in that I can kind of recognize it in others. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, this can be almost textbook and I'm sure You'll, you, you, you can add to that one as well. Um, it was, and, and this was illustrated to me very recently. I went to see a film. I haven't seen this film since my childhood. And the film was, you know, quite, quite a happy sort of fairy tale. Rewatching it after so many years and having gone through lots of stuff, this, was, this film is a textbook bleak example of somebody cracking up and going on to the verge of suicide 
And that film is It's a Wonderful Life, <laughs> which is one of the most powerful uh, films when you actually do watch it from the other side. So, but anyway, you, you, you watch for things like people flash of temper, for them just withdrawing, for them even body language and the posture and all that kind of thing. And you can kind of add that together. So I think sometimes, yes, there needs to be a conversation. And I think in some respects we can almost be, once you've gone through that, you can be in the sort of the, uh, the vanguard of actually spotting it and not waiting for the conversation to start, but acting either to start the conversation or to, even if it's not the conversation, getting that person back on the straight and narrow again. Yeah. I mean, definitely, like there's, uh, you know, recently a, a friend of mine and who sort of aired concerns that he had. And I mean, I won't, I won't mention any details because it's too personal, but that that was definitely, I had a conversation with my, with my wife and I was like, I think I need to spend some time with this person. Like we need to organize some more time to go and do these things um, and to meet up more often because I think there's things that are playing on his mind that I suspect he's not quite worked out how to vocalize properly. And if I don't do it, then who else is gonna do it? Do you know what I mean? Um, and it takes other men. I think so, yeah. And other people in the community to just say, hey, I'm noticing. Try and spot it. Yeah, I'm noticing X, Y, uh -huh. whatever, Z or Z. Yeah. In whatever country that may be. And <laughs> even just the act of, or the feeling of being noticed, I think is a start and a, and a it's, it's an offer, isn't it? Of, you know, Here's communication, do you want to take it? And that, for people who are in the depths of this stuff, um, like you were saying, you know, how did, when you're in the moment, how do you get out of it? Um, just that small kindness, I think, is a start. And it's a human connection that however macho we want to be, we're still humans and people can still reach us, usually. There's complications and there's people who are outside this smaller range, let's say, of ups and downs, who we might not save. But I think, yeah, looking out for your mates, looking out for your relatives, noticing things in colleagues, and being brave enough just to say, I have noticed this change, are you all right? Because it could be a lifeline. Yeah. Um, so the offer, there's a balance, and I don't think talking works for everybody. But if you make the offer, you've you've done a great thing. Yeah, I don't think you can just rely on listening, like and just sort of saying, "Oh, you know, I'm open to like if somebody wants to come and talk to me, then like they can always come and talk to me," because like I know firsthand, like you know, when you're in that moment, it's like you you know you don't want to talk to people. Do you know what I mean? Like that's how you feel about it. Because the shame and the guilt is too much. Yeah, totally, man. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I don't know. I, I think I think it's important. I do think it's important to be more aware of your surroundings and the people that are around you, and try and just sort of be conscious of, I guess, their body language and 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 their language as well. You know, and see what what things they are saying and how you perceive them to be coping, maybe. Um. I, I think also it's it, just taking it off on the, the, pr the pride and the shame bit as well, and I don't know how everybody else feels, 
Um, but I think when you're in that situation, you have a profound sense of being unlovable, that you're a worthless piece of dirt, um, and it's not pride or shame, it's just complete you know, self-detestation. Uh, which means that you kind of think, why would anybody want to help me? Um, and I think this, in when it's dealt with well, you get this thing which um, was explained to me once by um, a theologist. The concept is the Christian concept of grace, which of unearned love, mm. which is what you're talking about with the lifeline um, and that kind of thing. Just being able to go out there and sort of start to reel this person in, even though they feel, why would anybody want anything to do with me? And that comes from a surprising number of places. Your example there of um, being able to phone up somebody, that's grace, isn't it? You know, you, you, yeah. might, you might have lost all of this money because you've been an idiot. You might have put it all on a horse or something like that, or something foolish. But you still know that even though you've been an idiot, these people will still be there to back you up. I think all you're saying as well is to be self-aware of your surroundings, like you're saying, and judging people's body languages or lack of having heard from them a long time, just pick up the phone and say, here's things, and you're all right, you know. Um, I think yourself as well, I mean, you were in a very bad situation as well. I mean, as you seeing that was quite intense seeing that, and thank my dad there, but there may be people out there who wouldn't have it. Yeah, exactly. situation who would, who would they turn to, you know? Um, I think it's very easy, but sometimes for people to just feel like a failure and not to share that aspect of their side. And even though that you may phone up and ask repeatedly, look, are you okay because you don't see in yourself? Until that person themselves kind of open up out from there and admit that, look, I need help, it's very difficult to crack that, but because really you're just holding it. Look, I really don't want them to know how bad the situation are because they do feel that sense of failure. It's probably massive for them, you know, and they don't want people to perceive them in that way. Um, and I think it's good that um, there's, there's, there is, seems to be more kind of direction towards the awareness of people's mental health and especially guys talking about it and it being okay um, and not to be ashamed to talk about it and uh, the more that's kind of brought to the, f the fore um, I think those situations where people find themselves in will start thinking oh, it's, it's normal to go out and say look I need help yeah. but it's not normal at the moment is still an, a, a struggle for stigma. people. It's still there is a stigma. It's still a struggle for people to open up that way, admit that. And as you say, it could be their own fault. It could be yeah. you know, self-inflicted, and that makes it even worse. Yeah. You know, it's it's um, what an idiot I am to get myself in that situation. You know, that kind of repetitively, like I could have avoided that. You know, and you're over over looking at yeah. over and over again in your mind. And then you're thinking, there's no way I'm going to anyone because it was self-inflicted and all these ideas, you know. So, yeah, I think it has to be made more aware, these conversations. And brought out, Look, it's okay, you know, people do make mistakes. Yeah. And for me, one of the things that somebody taught me 
quite a while ago, and, it, and not to get too philosophical about it, but the difference between being and doing, and largely in modern life, you're expected to do all the time, mm. and you're now expected to do things presented perfectly to everybody mm. and do it all right. So it makes these feelings of, of failure and guilt even worse somehow. But if we can shape the conversation that, you know, just being a human has value and everybody has that who's a human. And it's, it sounds a bit hippie-ish and a bit lovey-dovey, but that's what it's got to be like because mm. even when I mess things up, I'm still me and I'm still here and I can sort it out. Uh, you said Luke. I know I'll get through this. Um, and when somebody's in that despairing part of, I can't be loved, if you approach it from, you have value just being as you are now, then they don't, they don't need to give you anything. They don't, there is no expectation on them to do anything than just be with you. Um, I think you were saying as well, like we were talking about at that stage in life where you choose the people that you want to be around a bit more carefully do you know what i mean like we're not out to just make mass amount of friends like i'd rather spend time with people that i really want to spend time with that's what we were talking about earlier and i think like what you're saying there is about that being able to offer that as somebody to actually enjoy being around you know, like for your friends and that sort of thing. That is definitely a valuable thing you contribute. Um, you know, it's not a financial thing. It's nothing other than yeah. just being good conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, and that, I mean, certainly for me, like, you know, I'm really picky now about the people that I hang out with because I have no time. Yeah. No time. Yeah. So when I go to the pub for a beer, I'm like really fussy about who I will do that with because like I remember there was somebody who was like oh we should get a beer it was like someone I'd not seen for like 10 years and I'm like thinking in my head like, with all due respect if I'm going to go out for a beer I'm going to go out with one of my actual friends and that sounds like a really harsh thing to say but like I have a small group of friends that I really like seeing and those are the people that I want to spend time with because do you know what? That's a that's a valuable thing that we give to each other. Yeah. Um, and I think that's like you can't buy that. No. To be honest, and it's a release as well because when you're with friends, you can forget things. You can just you know openly share things and have those discussions. Whereas with someone that you don't really get on with that well, you don't know too well, it's a struggle. Yeah. It's like hard work. It is work. And it's like I just came out to have that drink and just chill that. out. And now I need to sit and be polite and listen to you and try to figure out what kind of conversation I'm going to have with you. Whereas with the f actual friend friends that know me, yeah. they can just have a banter. They can say something stupid to me or, you know. It reminds me of my wife. <laughs> I come out of an apartment and my wife goes, what did you talk about? And I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, uh, and she'll be like, did you talk about this? Like all of these things that are happening in our life. Did you talk about this? No. Talk about this? No. They're having a baby. Did they? Did you talk about that? No. What did you talk about? I have no idea. We were in a pub for three hours. I have no, literally no idea what we talked about. But it was brilliant. 
Like, do you know that what scenario plays out? I have to. Play. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's amazing how Tim, you brought up the being and the doing, and all of you have touched upon it briefly and and in more detail as well. So sometimes when somebody is in a bad place, just being with them, mm-hmm. not even talking to them necessarily, but just being in that space mm-hmm. to hold the space with them can be just as powerful. Yeah, big as time. Asking for help. Big yeah. time saying, giving that sense of grace, is there something going on? Let's talk. Big time. Just to let them know they're not alone. Mm-hmm. They've got company. Uh, speaks volumes um, to people in desperate situations because the one thing about when you're in a situation, you just feel you are alone. There's no one else in the world. It's you alone. Yeah. yeah. And just like you said brilliantly, Tim, everybody is loved in their own way. I guess the advice I would have is to recognize um, the symptoms of um, mental anguish in others. And that would include things like um, personality changes, um, flashes of anger when that didn't appear beforehand, compulsive behavior, that kind of thing to recognize it in yourself and to recognize it in others um, so that the healing can begin, or at least you can start to address the problem. Don't let that opportunity go if you recognise someone. Don't say, oh, someone else will sort it out. I think step up and do something about it, because uh, I'm sure you would regret it if something did happen. You know, you thought that you could have had a hand in making a change and making a difference. So don't let it be someone else's problem that they can deal with it. or. I would say regarding mental health issues that men overwhelmingly tend to try and self-medicate with either distractions, with drink, with drugs, with other things that are not helpful in the long term. So I would say to any guys that are feeling like they're struggling, try not to add to that with behavior that will damage you even though it's good in the short term to be out of that space it's much harder but much better for who you are to try and take small baby steps of things that will actually help so get out get up in the morning have a shower try and do some exercise try and say hello to somebody um, just tiny things that, that are not adding to the damage that's already going on. And it's okay to be crap. It's okay to be a bit useless sometimes in your life and you will change it.